One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America. It's often said that the bond between a mother and her child is incomparable, even transcending the boundaries of life and death. A mother forges a connection with her child that defies any worldly explanation. Such is the power of a mother's intuition. In 2004, this truth manifested in a remarkable way when a mother encountered a girl who bore an uncanny resemblance to someone she knew all too well. Having tragically lost her own daughter following a fire in 1997, she was struck by an overwhelming sense of familiarity upon seeing this girl. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Nina Instead. Welcome to episode 86 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. It was a cold winter afternoon in the Feltonville area of Philadelphia on December 14, 1997. Luz Ada Cuevas was at her two-story terrace home on 4410 Hurley Street with her husband, Pedro Vera, and three children. The latest addition to their family, a baby girl named Delamar, had entered the world a mere nine days prior. A long time loses two sons from a previous relationship, age four and five, Delamar's arrival made their family complete. During the latter part of the afternoon, Pedro's cousin, Carolyn Correa, unexpectedly appeared at the family home. While Pedro and Correa were not related by blood, she had been raised by his uncle. When she arrived at the home that afternoon, she sought Pedro's assistance with her car, which was experiencing brake complications. They departed the residence together, only to return later. 
Korea settled in beside Luz in the living room, initiating a conversation. Expressing curiosity about Delamar, Korea revealed that she too had just welcomed a baby girl into the world. According to Korea, her own childbirth had coincided with Luz's on December 5th. As night fell, Korea said she was sleeping over and settled down for the night on the couch. The following morning, she left briefly, only to return around 6 p.m. to transport Pedro to a relative's home. Once this errand was complete, Korea returned to Luz and Pedro's home alone. After sitting and chatting with Luz for several moments, Korea went upstairs to use the bathroom. Shortly after she came back downstairs, a small explosion was heard from upstairs. With haste, Luz ran upstairs, only to encounter smoke beginning to envelop Delamar's bedroom. In a desperate bid to save her baby, Luz approached the bedroom door but was pushed back by thick black smoke. Determined, she pushed past the flames, enduring burns on her face, and reached Delamar's bedroom only to find the crib was vacant. Undeterred by the searing heat and enveloping smoke, she ventured through other rooms in a frantic search for her infant. Faced with an impenetrable cloud of smoke, she was forced to retreat downstairs, her anguished cries in Spanish echoing, My baby! My baby! As the fire department raced to the scene after being called, the mother's frantic screams and the raging flames drew neighbors from their homes. Armed with garden hoses and fire extinguishers, they rushed to aid her in her desperate quest to reach Delamar's bedroom. Their valiant efforts intertwined with the chaos of the moment as they battled the inferno side by side with whatever tools they had on hand. Smoke and flames poured out the second floor windows as Luz frantically screamed that her daughter was gone. Responding to the urgency, Jose Rosario, who lived next door, rushed inside. He attempted to ascend the stairs in a courageous but futile attempt as he was pushed back by the thick smoke and scorching heat. Shortly past seven o'clock, firefighters arrived, and within 14 minutes they had subdued the fire that appeared to only be confined to Delamar's bedroom. The scorched bedroom lay in ruins, its charred remnants a stark contrast to the life that had thrived within it for the past 10 days. Once the flames were out, a firefighter initiated a primary search, scouring the bedroom for signs of the missing newborn. Fifteen minutes of searching yielded no trace of the baby. Once he came outside with the disheartening news that he hadn't found her, a second firefighter entered. He meticulously combed through the debris-laden bedroom for another twenty minutes, but he too had the same outcome. There was no sign of Delamar inside the bedroom. Outside, Luz's anguish continued, her cries reverberating in Spanish, accusing someone of having stolen her daughter. A glimmer of hope, albeit somber, materialized when firefighters stumbled upon a burned blanket during a third search of the room. It appeared to contain human remains, hidden within its smoldering fabric. However, upon closer inspection, their discovery turned out to be a congealed portion of a mattress and other incidental debris. 
As the scene of destruction persisted, firefighters diligently worked to remove the remnants of devastation from the house. The pile of rubble they gathered outside included remnants of clothing, decimated furniture, and drywall. The combined efforts of law enforcement, fire personnel, and medical officials persisted. Despite their exhaustive efforts, no evidence of Delamar's remains could be located anywhere inside the home. They called for the assistance of the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office, which was more equipped to deal with the presence of remains. For the subsequent two days, they painstakingly sifted through the charred remnants of Delamar's bedroom, crouching on hands and knees, desperate to uncover any semblance of closure for Luz and Pedro. However, their pursuit yielded no results. Delamar's remains were nowhere in the house. For verification, on the ensuing day, the medical examiner's office called upon the expertise of a specialist, Thomas Christ. He was a forensic anthropologist who was a doctoral candidate at Temple University. He later commented on his search, The medical examiner and the investigators, of whom I was one, went to a very high level of standards to try to recover that child's remains. His pursuit was characterized by a search for elusive traces, bone fragments, vestiges of soft tissue, and the faint presence of nascent newborn teeth. However, despite his exhaustive endeavors, his search yielded no such traces. Jeff Moran, a spokesperson for the medical examiner, said, It is plausible that with such a young infant, no discernible remains could be found. On December 17th, detectives reached a grim conclusion. The intensity of the fire had likely consumed Delamar's body entirely. In the absence of tangible remains, the medical examiner's office refrained from issuing a death certificate. Following the examination of the home, detectives attributed the fire to the improper use of an extension cord attached to a space heater near Delamar's crib. In the absence of both remains and a death certificate, Luz and Pedro made the difficult decision to forego organizing a funeral for Delamar. While they could have pursued a legal route to obtain a death certificate, they chose not to. The truth was that Luz and Pedro never really believed that their daughter died in the fire. When Luz stepped into Delamar's bedroom just as the fire began to take hold, her gaze fell upon an open window alongside the empty crib. This seemingly insignificant fact weighed heavily on her. It was a cold winter night. There was no reason for the bedroom window to be open. After the fire's aftermath, Luz and Pedro experienced the bittersweet arrival of a baby boy named Samuel. The home where the fire had taken place held haunting memories for the family, and they relocated to a new home nearby. Yet, the loss of their daughter acted as an unspoken wedge that took a toll on their relationship. Pedro juggled work as a car mechanic and a stock boy at Dollar Tree, while Luz assumed the role of caring for the children at home. They tried to make it work for the sake of their son Samuel and Luz's other two children. Still, by December 2002, the relationship had frayed beyond repair. 
Custody of Samuel was awarded to Luz, with Pedro granted visitation rights on weekends. Throughout the tumultuous journey, Luz was steadfast in her belief that Delamar had been abducted that night, and the fire was set to cover it up. She shared her fears with anyone who would listen, but most thought it was the grief talking. Morning and night, she prayed that one day she would be reunited with her daughter. On January 24, 2004, Luz was invited to a birthday party in Willingboro, New Jersey. It was hosted by Pedro's sister, Evelyn Vera, in honor of her granddaughter's third birthday. Amidst the festivities, a particular child captured Luz's attention. This brown-haired girl with prominent dimples stirred something within her. The girl was named Aaliyah, and she was accompanied by her mother, Carolyn Correa, Pedro's cousin. Luz couldn't help but notice how much the little girl resembled her and her three other children. Gazing upon the child, the shadow of her lost daughter, Delamar, loomed ever larger in her thoughts. For the past six years, she hadn't been able to get Delamar out of her head, and now a little girl standing before her looked exactly how she had envisioned her daughter looking at that age. Her unwavering maternal intuition whispered a truth she had held on to all along, that this little girl might be her long-lost daughter. An overwhelming desire to run up to the little girl and hug her overcame Luz, but she held herself back. Luz was so sure that the little girl was her daughter that when the little girl went into the bathroom, she followed her. She told her that she had some gum stuck in her hair and that she would help to remove it. In the process, she collected a couple strands of the girl's hair, securing them in a napkin and then in a plastic bag stowed away in her purse. She later recounted, Because of TV, I knew they needed hair for the DNA. Upon returning home, Liz safeguarded the plastic bag containing the strands of hair within a locked safe. Subsequently, she reached out to her local legislator, Representative Angel Cruz, who devoted an hour and a half to listening to her narrative. Luz recounted her steadfast belief that Delamar had not perished in the fire and that she instead had been kidnapped. While initially skeptical, Representative Cruz found himself wrestling with the possibility that the peculiar story could possibly harbor an undercurrent of truth. He decided to call the police, prompting them to collect the hair samples from Luz. They were then transported to the Philadelphia Police Forensic Science Division, but it was found they didn't have roots or follicles, which meant that DNA could not be extracted. Nonetheless, Representative Cruz supported Luz in her quest for the truth, motivating detectives to procure DNA samples from Aaliyah and Korea. On February 9th, detectives approached Korea at her home, and she consented to DNA sampling from her daughter. In tandem, detectives obtained a DNA sample from Luz and then compared the two. Shockingly, the DNA results came back and proved to Luz what she had believed all along. Her daughter, Delamar, had not died in the fire. 
Rather, she had been living within their midst all along, under the guise of Aaliyah, for the past six years. Armed with the DNA results, detectives promptly arrived at Korea's home. In a scene fraught with emotion, the little girl, who was now known to be Delamar, was removed from the home, kicking and screaming. Despite the DNA match, Delamar was not immediately returned to her mother. Instead, she was placed under the custody of the Division of Youth and Foster Family Services in New Jersey. Nevertheless, Luz remained steadfast in her anticipation of their reunion. She articulated her sentiment, stating, I'm going to give her a lot of love and hug and kisses. Detectives announced on March 1st that they were hunting 41-year-old Karen Correa as a fugitive. After the little girl she claimed to be her own was found to be Delamar, Correa had vanished and detectives were trying to track her down. They believed that she had abducted Delamar back in 1997 and then set the family home on fire to conceal it. In addition to the compelling DNA evidence, some circumstantial evidence bolstered their theory. In the hours after the fire, Korea showed up at the home of Andre Moore, a former boyfriend of hers. She was carrying a baby in her arms, and explained that she had given birth at home three days earlier. She presented the baby as Aaliyah Hernandez, named after the singer, and said that he was the father. He recalled, I didn't give too much thought to what she said. She was just so beautiful. Andre's elation at becoming a father was short-lived, however. While Andre tried to be there for his daughter, Korea had wanted him to have a limited role in her life since they were no longer a couple. Over time, Korea cut off all contact with Andre and forbade him from seeing the little girl. In 1999, he underwent a DNA test in an effort to get court-ordered visitation rights to see her on a regular basis. However, when the paternity test came back negative, Andre was crushed. He assumed that Korea must have slept with another man and then strung him along, pretending he was the father. Nevertheless, Andre tried to remain a constant presence in the little girl's life and endeavored to see her whenever possible. Delamar had grown up on Peacock Lane in Willingboro alongside Korea, her husband Brian Busardo, and her three older siblings from a previous marriage, Dominic, Angelica, and Anthony. She had been enrolled at Primary Colors Learning Center, where she spent four years in preschool. Known for her amiable nature and positive disposition, she held a deep affection for the woman she believed to be her mother. Delamar delighted in playing games with her classmates, engaging in coloring activities, and showcasing the elegant dresses her mother bestowed upon her. Maria Barber, the director of Primary Colors Learning Center, recalled, They were incredibly close. Whenever Delamar got melancholy, she wanted her mom. To outsiders looking in, Korea played the role of a demoted mother adeptly, showering Delamar with affection, enrolling her in modeling classes, and featuring her in fashion shows. Delamar's classes paid off, and she became a recognizable presence in local beauty competitions. 
With an innate air of confidence and charm, she radiated in the spotlight. Her modeling career included appearances and print advertisements for Target, PlaySchool, and Hasbro. In October 2002, she even appeared in an episode of the children's TV show Blue's Clues. As Delamar's childhood career was taking off, Korea secured an agent, Kathy Donahue, who recalled of her. She had a lot of spark. She lights up in front of the camera. For a child her age, she was on the road to being very successful. Looking up to Jennifer Lopez as her idol, Delamar held aspirations of starring in commercials for Disney World. To external observers, Delamar's life appeared like a fairy tale, having all the privileges a child could desire. However, beneath the facade, the seemingly idyllic family was disintegrating. Aside from the shocking revelation that Delamar was not Korea's biological child and had been abducted, Korea's oldest son was well known to law enforcement. 22-year-old Dominic Santiago had been in prison since November 10, 2003. He was serving a minimum sentence of five years and one month for charges involving weapons, drugs, and assault. This sentence encompassed seven offenses that were consolidated. Dominic had engaged in drug dealing on school premises on November 6, 2000, July 9, 2001, and July 25, 2003. He unlawfully carried a weapon on August 6, 2001 and November 2, 2002. He committed aggravated assault in March of 2001. Korea's interactions with law enforcement painted a checkered history of her own. Back in 1996, she was arrested for torching the Hamilton-Mercer County office of Williams Medical Associates. At the time, she was working as a billing clerk, but she had stolen and cashed company checks. The flames erupted as her employer was poised to terminate her employment due to being absent from work too often. Korea's motive for setting the fire was rooted in the fear that her impending replacement would unveil her fraudulent activities. She was charged with aggravated arson, theft, and fraud. She pleaded guilty to third-degree arson in exchange for five years probation and community service. Korea also scammed the Burlington County Welfare Board, which took her to court five times between 1993 and 2003 for receiving benefits while working. On March 2nd, Carolyn Correa surrendered herself to police in Philadelphia, where she was charged with 16 offenses, including kidnapping, arson, and aggravated assault. She refused to cooperate with the investigation, handing detectives a photograph of another child when they requested one of her daughter. She further refused to provide a DNA sample until a judge ordered her to give one. Furthermore, it was believed that Korea may have tampered with the DNA test given to Delamar when detectives arrived at her home. When Delamar's mouth was swabbed for DNA, she told detectives that she had a secret. She then proceeded to tell them that Korea had sprayed something inside her mouth, 
and told her not to speak or swallow before taking the DNA test. The analysis of her DNA sample conclusively indicated that the child she had asserted as her own daughter was, in fact, not biologically related to her. During her arraignment before bail commissioner Dwayne Hill, Assistant District Attorney Leslie Gomez argued that despite Korea's surrender, she still posed a flight risk and had not cooperated. As she argued for high bail, she stated, she has been anything but cooperative with this case. Korea's defense attorney, Jeffrey Zucker, contested this assertion, deeming it absurd. He went on to address the bail commissioner, asserting, Ever since we've been involved, she's been nothing but cooperative. She turned herself in voluntarily. If she wanted to flee, she could have done so a long time ago. According to defense attorney Zucker, Korea had disappeared for the weekend after the DNA testing results came back because he had told her to. He said he wanted her to celebrate her birthday in Florida and didn't expect the DNA test results to come back so quickly. She was ordered to be held on a $1 million cash bail. Carolyn Correa's arrest prompted numerous questions, not just for Luz, Pedro, and the detectives, but also for Andre Moore. Around the time of the fire, Correa was purportedly expecting his child, and he was certain that he had observed her protruding abdomen. He remarked, This is just a real sad situation. It doesn't affect just one person. It affects all these families. It's affecting my family right now. He had been led to believe that Korea had given birth to their daughter, Aaliyah, unassisted at home. The arrest of Korea had also torn apart the fabric of her remaining family, including her husband, Brian Bissardo. He had come into Delamar's life when she was just two years old and had taken on the role of doting stepfather. He had treated Delamar as if she were his own daughter, and now his life had been torn apart at the seams. He commented, My wife's not an angel. She's done some stupid things. But the way she took care of Aaliyah? He said in the media that Korea didn't have a good childhood growing up and wanted to give her children everything that she never had. Now, their home was empty, with Korea behind bars facing a multitude of charges. Detectives announced plans to investigate Korea's pregnancy claims and the fate of the supposed baby. There was some speculation that she may have suffered a miscarriage and, in the midst of her turmoil, abducted Delamar to raise as her own. However, in their search for truth, inconsistencies emerged. Korea told Luz she had given birth on December 5th, but told Andre it was December 12th. Swiftly, detectives secured Korea's medical records, finding a December 3rd ultrasound contradicting her pregnancy story. Medical records unveiled a miscarriage in September 1996, despite her 1990 tubal ligation. Curiously absent were any records of a 1997 pregnancy, suggesting that she had fabricated the entire thing. Detectives began to speculate that Korea had been planning the abduction for some time, feigning her own pregnancy in tandem with Luz's pregnancy. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Once Delamar was confirmed to be the young girl at the party and the feel-good news story dominated headlines worldwide, experts offered their insights. As Dr. David Harwitz put it, Delamar's reality had been shattered. He remarked, From a developmental standpoint, this is catastrophic. He explained that Delamar had likely undergone severe trauma because her sense of security had experienced a hydrogen bomb go off in the middle of it. At the tender age of six, children lack the capacity to comprehend intricate concepts like biological parentage. Nevertheless, they possess the emotional maturity to harbor a lasting love and loyalty toward the mother and family who raised them. The fundamental relationship a child forms becomes the cornerstone of all their relationships. It contributes to cultivating feelings of safety, security, and trust. Dr. Harwitz further explained, At a time when she should be discovering her place in the world and mastering her surroundings, she's finding that she has no control over her environment. In fact, she's uncertain about her own identity. Her self-concept is entirely fabricated, and the person she presumably formed the most significant bond with has been deceptive and even engaged in criminal behavior. Other psychologists concurred that disrupting the mother-child connection could yield detrimental effects. Dr. Barton Singer remarked that altering or severing such a parental bond would be traumatic. Furthermore, Dr. Eileen Gillen added, the child has lost a mother twice. She explained that Delamar lost the mother who raised her, Korea, and had also lost years with her biological mother. They collectively agreed that Delamar, Luz, and Pedro would require counseling. However, with professional assistance, a nurturing environment, and time, they could adapt to their new family dynamics. Dr. Harwitz clarified, The child and the family have sustained profound, significant, and unusual emotional wounds, which will necessitate an extended period of time to heal. The child will have to take incremental emotional steps, considering that the steps she took as an infant have essentially been erased. Luz and Pedro were both desperate to be reunited with their daughter, yet the authority to make that determination lay with a judge. The Division of Youth and Foster Family Services, known as DYFS, formally appealed to Superior Court Judge James F. Morley for a phased reintegration plan 
involving Delamar, Luz, and Pedro, with supervised visits as the initial step. In the words of DYFS spokesman Andy Williams, we will present a comprehensive strategy to the judge that outlines the ultimate objective of reunifying the child with her biological mother. It's important to dispel the notion that this process will occur overnight, as that won't be the case. Simultaneously, Delamar was undergoing consultations with a psychologist who helped her understand the situation she found herself in and its implications for her. On March 5th, Luz and Pedro appeared in court to learn of the judge's ruling. The emotions etched across their faces were unmistakable. Pedro clutched a sizable stuffed dog, a present for his long-lost daughter. Ultimately, the judge sanctioned a proposal to grant custody of Delamar to Luz. Although both Luz and Pedro would share custody, Delamar would primarily reside with Luz. The transition would be a gradual one, culminating in Delamar's permanent residence with her mother. Throughout the initial reunification meetings involving Delamar and her biological parents, a child psychologist would be present. Luz was overjoyed by the decision and expressed her elation. Soon, and I mean very, very soon, I'll have her right by my side. The moment Luz had been yearning for was rapidly approaching, an imminent reunion with her long-lost daughter. Mere hours after the intense courtroom proceedings, they both converged at a nondescript government office in the heart of New Jersey. As Luz stepped into the waiting area, time seemed to hang suspended in anticipation. Moments later, Delamar rushed forward with open arms, enveloping her mother in an embrace that held the weight of years apart. The depth of their connection was evident as Delamar hugged and kissed her mother. Her voice brimmed with affection as she uttered the word, Mommy. As they finally sat down, the reunion was a testament to the unbreakable bond between mother and daughter, a bond that time and distance could not diminish. Delamar settled onto her mother's lap, and they were finally reunited after six years apart. Following their reunion, Delamar was eventually returned to her foster family, while Luz made her way back home alone. Overflowing with joy, she informed the reporters stationed outside the government office of her plans for a welcome home celebration for her daughter. Over the ensuing days, Delamar had the opportunity to interact with both Luz and Pedro all of these interactions closely monitored by social workers. Given the concern that her sudden transition from Korea's care might be overwhelming, Delamar's remarkable adaptability shone through. Her bond with her biological mother stood as an unmatched connection. On March 8th, preparations were made for Delamar to finally return to her mother permanently. As darkness fell upon Northeast Philadelphia, she ushered her daughter into the family home. Delamar was dressed in a blue hooded jacket and pink pants, and she giggled at the deluge of reporters who had gathered, but didn't say a word. That night witnessed an intimate gathering of close friends and family, uniting to welcome Delamar back into the family. For the first time, she got to meet the three brothers she never knew, 
11-year-old Wilfredo, 10-year-old Israel, and 4-year-old Samuel. Later in the night, Luz and Delamar posed for the media at their front door. Delamar looked more than comfortable in her mother's presence as she declared, I feel like I'm at my real home. I'm going to get pizza and play with my brothers. Luz commented that she was going to shower Delamar with hugs and kisses. She always knew deep down that she was still alive. Delamar then kissed her aunt and said to the reporters, I'm not afraid of this. Still smiling, she asked the media to stay away, telling them, Don't come no more. Please don't. While the reunion had gone well, drama behind the scenes was unfolding between Luz and Pedro. While he had been at the birth of Delamar and even cut the umbilical cord, he did not sign the birth certificate. According to Luz, he did not want Delamar. But according to Pedro's lawyer, Michael Luber, he misunderstood what was being asked of him. He stated, He has always acknowledged the child was his. Luz found it peculiar that the first time she had ever met Carolyn Correa was the day before the fire. It was the first time she had come to their home, asking Pedro for assistance with her car problems. There were still a number of questions that needed to be answered, and detectives began looking into whether Correa had any help in abducting Delamar. According to Luz and her family, they speculated that Pedro may have somehow been involved, but his attorney refuted that. He stated, Let's not focus on the biological parents and what they did or didn't do. They're the victims in this case. The real culprits are the city of Philadelphia, the fire department, and the medical examiner's office. He also revealed that Pedro still wanted to be a part of Delamar's life, but accused Luz of refusing this. He wasn't invited to the reunion party. As his attorney said, I was told the mother did not want the father present. He's heartbroken, absolutely heartbroken. This child already has a fragile psyche. If we get into custody and visitation battles, it's going to get messy. Pedro himself spoke with the media and described how when he first caught a glimpse of Delamar, who he believed was Korea's daughter four years prior, he had an inkling it was his daughter. He had been arriving at a baby shower for his niece just as Korea and Delamar were leaving. She introduced her as her daughter, Aaliyah, and as they drove off, Delamar smiled and waved at him. He recalled, That's when, well, I got a little feeling. From that moment, that's when I got the feeling. Pedro was desperate to see his daughter, and the day after she returned home, he was allowed to visit at Luz's home. He brought her three bags of toys, and she welcomed him with open arms and called him Pappy. During the ongoing investigation, Luz found herself bombarded with offers from various studios eager to recount their tale on film. Her attorney, Anthony Cianfrani, elaborated on this situation. We are getting calls from producers with all sorts of offers, packages, contracts, People are dangling all sorts of things, and some of them are pretty exciting. I'm learning there is a whole hierarchy of TV movies. The lowest form is regular cable. The mid-range is network TV. HBO is far better than network. And then, at the top, there are your regular feature film studios. 
Recognizing the surge in contracts, the family enlisted the services of entertainment lawyer Alex Murphy to navigate the burgeoning agreements flooding their way. Mary Martin, a television and film producer from Los Angeles, underscored the impact the case had on the production landscape. The story is a simple strike to the heart. It's about every parent's fear and the uncanny sensibility a mother has, a maternal instinct, to put the pieces together. Amidst the influx of TV and movie offers, the family also found themselves inundated with requests from newspapers and television programs, including NBC's Dateline, CBS, and 48 Hours. Eventually, the family made the decision to sell the rights to their life story for both a movie and a book. The purchaser was the Larry A. Thompson organization based in Beverly Hills, which offered an initial six-figure sum up front to be followed by an additional six figures upon commencement of production. Detectives continued their investigation into the potential involvement of others in Delamar's kidnapping. As March drew to a close, Korea's defense attorney, Jeffrey Zucker, disclosed a likelihood that Pedro Vera had been engaged in a romantic relationship with Carolyn Correa around the time of the abduction. In response, Pedro's attorney, Michael Luber, countered with a firm statement. It's absolute insanity. There's not a scintilla of evidence to support that accusation. Pedro himself refuted these allegations and pointed fingers at Korea for fabricating stories. According to defense attorney Zucker, he contemplated utilizing an insanity defense for Korea. He conveyed that even though DNA evidence confirmed Aaliyah as Delamar, Korea staunchly maintained her narrative that Aaliyah was her biological daughter. He stated, She was extremely upset about it, but she's become somewhat used to the fact. She's very depressed, and they're basically treating her with antidepressants. However, Korea's time in jail was plagued by the haunting cries of infants during the night. Each night, she struggled to sleep compelling her to repeatedly strike her head against the prison cell wall. The severity of Korea's mental state escalated to the point of suicidal tendencies, leading her to transfer to the prison infirmary where she was placed under suicide watch. Her defense attorney enlisted the services of Elliot Atkins, a forensic psychologist, to assess her condition. After the evaluation, Atkins expressed his belief that Korea genuinely held the conviction that Delamar was her daughter. He articulated, Denial is powerful enough that whatever set the stage for Carolyn to be raising this child, it is certainly within the realm of psychological literature that she could have come to accept and believe fully that that was her child she was raising. It was his belief that Korea was suffering from a major depressive episode with psychotic features. Carolyn Correa's defense attorney pressed for a bail reduction on April 14th, contending that despite being aware of the investigation after DNA samples were taken, she didn't attempt to escape the situation. Attorney Zucker emphasized, I don't believe she represents a danger to the community at large, and she's had all the opportunity to leave before she was arrested, and obviously she didn't, and she's not going to leave now. However, this plea was met with denial. 
On April 17th, the order was given for Korea to proceed to trial, facing charges of kidnapping, arson, and criminal conspiracy. The criminal conspiracy charge stemmed from the detective's suspicion that accomplices might have been involved in the abduction. As June unfolded, Korea's defense team aimed to dismantle the arson charges against her. In the courtroom, they argued that experts couldn't definitively assert the fire as an act of arson. Assistant District Attorney Leslie Gomez countered this by building a circumstantial case. She cited Korea's presence in the house during the fire, Delamar's unexplained disappearance among the flames, and the swift emergence of Korea with a newborn, claiming a home birth, all within an hour and across state lines in New Jersey. Ultimately, the judge aligned with the prosecution, leading to the dismissal of the arson charges. The legal saga continued into February 2005, where Korea stood in court donning a light rain pantsuit on the 16th. Judge Pamela Pryor-Dembe's voice filled the room as she recited the array of charges, kidnapping, criminal conspiracy, and interference with child custody. In a hushed tone, Korea entered a plea of no contest. The no contest plea meant that Korea did not challenge the evidence against her. She neither admitted nor denied the charges, but did not want to go to trial to fight them. However, the plea also meant that the mystery surrounding Delamar's abduction still remained. Loza's attorney, Anthony Cianfrani, said, Someone had to take the child when Carolyn was on the first floor of the house. You would think if you're throwing yourself on the mercy of the court, you would say, I'm willing to cooperate. Detectives were almost certain that Korea had an accomplice in Delamar's abduction, supported by the fact that Korea was downstairs with Luz when the fire erupted. According to defense attorney Zucker, they were in no position to refute the DNA evidence. However, he indicated that during the forthcoming sentencing phase, he would delve into certain psychiatric and psychological factors he hoped the judge would take into account. Following the plea, a press conference convened to provide the public with an update on Delamar. Luz shared that her daughter had been enrolled as a first grader in a city charter school and was adapting well to her new life. She embraced learning Spanish, both spoken and written, to enhance communication with her mother and three brothers. Luz proudly displayed photographs from Delamar's birthday celebration in December, affirming, the therapist is amazed herself at how she's adapting to the family environment. Revealing a glimpse of the emotional aftermath, Luz disclosed that Delamar had a solitary question for Korea, one that echoed the confusion and pain that lingered within the little girl. Why did she do that to you, Mom? Why? On July 29th, Luz Cuevas initiated a federal lawsuit against the city. She asserted that officials had erred in pronouncing her daughter deceased after what she described as a willfully brief, inept, and insufficient investigation. Alan Feldman, one of her legal representatives, stressed that such an outcome would never have happened if the family resided in a more affluent neighborhood. He emphasized, there were individuals in this particular case who did not carry out their jobs properly and told Mrs. Cuevas that her daughter was dead when that was a preposterous conclusion to reach under the circumstances. 
The lawsuit highlighted a crucial lapse in procedure. No law enforcement agencies had reported Delamar's disappearance to the National Crime Information Center of the Department of Justice, a mandated requirement. Additionally, it was unveiled a previously concealed aspect of Delamar's upbringing under Korea's care, dispelling the notion of complete harmony that had been presented to the public. Luz accused her of subjecting her to physical and psychological abuse, which was refuted by Korea's defense attorney, Saul Steinberg. He argued back, In our exhaustive investigation, we have found absolutely no evidence that this child was treated with anything but love, devotion, and caring. Luz's pursuit aimed for unspecified compensatory and punitive damages, coupled with attorney's fees for the grievous pain and emotional trauma stemming from the loss of her daughter. The lawsuit extended its scope to encompass not only the city of Philadelphia, but also other figures tied to the case. Defendants included former Fire Commissioner Harold Hairston, former Philadelphia Police Commissioner Richard Neal, City Medical Examiner Haresh Merchandani, and retired Fire Marshal Lieutenant Vincent Heaney. Just as the lawsuit found its way to the legal arena, Korea confided in psychologist Albert Levitt, revealing an astonishing claim. Delamar had allegedly been handed over to her by Pedro Vera. Korea's narrative, as shared with Levitt, painted a picture where Delamar's origins were intertwined with Pedro. Luz had previously commented to detectives that Pedro was an uninterested father who had once told her he wished the baby had died during pregnancy. According to Pedro's attorney, Correa was a liar. He stated, She is not a normal, stable individual, but an individual with significant mental problems. She lied from the onset of this incident. How can you believe anything she says? Following this unexpected revelation, Luz made a consequential announcement. She was revoking the joint custody arrangement with Pedro. This decision stemmed from Luz's enduring belief that Pedro bore some connection to her daughter's abduction. During the span of six years when Correa was raising Delamar, the child had spent a portion of that time under the roof of her mother and stepfather, who happened to be Pedro's uncle. Throughout the years, Pedro maintained contact with his uncle and Luz held the conviction that Pedro had encountered Delamar on multiple occasions. On September 23rd, Pedro filed his own lawsuit against the city of Philadelphia and other city officials for declaring Delamar dead. His attorney, Michael Luber, said, Pedro Vera suffered grievous physical pain and emotional trauma, loss of the society of his daughter Delamar Vera for approximately six years, violations of his constitutional and statutory rights, loss of earning power, as well as a loss and diminution of his ability to enjoy the pleasures of life. He was seeking compensatory and punitive damages as well as attorney's fees and other costs. On September 24th, Carolyn Correa appeared in court for her sentencing. Before the judge, she publicly accused Pedro Vera of collaborating with her in the abduction. She tearfully said, Pedro gave me the baby. I loved her as my own. I truly believe she was mine. 
She briefly offered an apology for the confusion she had caused to everyone involved. Her defense team asserted that Korea had grappled with a psychotic condition wherein she genuinely believed she was pregnant and came to perceive Delamar as her own child. Psychiatrist Elliot Atkins, providing testimony for the defense, explained that Korea's mental illness had emerged due to the stress stemming from her inability to bear children after tubal ligation in 1990. This condition led to delusions of pregnancy, auditory hallucinations, and even hearing children crying. In contrast, prosecutors contended that Korea deliberately deprived Luz and Pedro of experiencing their daughter's developmental milestones, from crawling to talking and attending school. Psychiatrist John O'Brien, testifying on behalf of the prosecution, stated his skepticism regarding Korea suffering from a significant psychiatric disorder. He cited instances where she actively concealed Delamar's true identity, including falsifying a birth certificate, falsely claiming a home birth, and providing detectives with a photo of a different child. Judge Pamela Demby formed the opinion that while Korea did experience some level of depression, she appeared to be more manipulative than delusional. The judge found Korea's apology inadequate in acknowledging the severity of her crime. Additionally, the question of who might have assisted Korea in the abduction remained a mystery, and insufficient evidence existed to implicate anyone else, including Pedro. Consequently, Judge Dembe sentenced Carolyn Korea to a prison term ranging from 9 to 30 years. Alongside the prison sentence, Korea was mandated to complete five years of subsequent probation and to maintain no contact with Delamar unless initiated by Delamar herself. Outside the courtroom, Pedro refuted Korea's accusations of his involvement in the abduction, deeming them crazy things. In August, a federal judge dismissed lawsuits filed by Luz and Pedro against Philadelphia and city officials. The dismissal was grounded in the notion that the National Child Search Assistance Act of 1990 did not explicitly grant missing children's parents the right to sue local officials under federal civil rights. In August 2008, Little Girl Lost, the Delamar Vera story, premiered on the Lifetime Movie Network. This episode was researched and written by Emily G. Thompson. Editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman. Script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. We appreciate you listening, and please be safe.